0: Hi everybody, welcome to episode 49 of The Book Cougars, Two Middle-Aged Women on the Hunt for a Good Read. I'm Emily. I'm Chris. And we're here with a very special guest today, our mystery man, John Valerie. We're back at it. We are, it's been a while.
1: Hi John. Hello, thank you for having me back. We just realized it's
0: been nine months. Nine whole months, I know. Yeah. Yeah. That's the mystery. (laughs) (laughs) You never know
1: when I'm going to pop up.
0: (laughs) Or where time goes. goes. (laughs) That's true,
2: too. Now, for those of you who missed our first episode with John, John is a writer and a reviewer. He reviews a ton of mystery books, fiction and nonfiction. True. Um, And so if you're a subscriber to Mystery Scene, you've probably seen his byline, he also reviews for Criminal Element and the Strand Magazine, as well as a bunch of other online and paper—I can't say venues. That's not the right word. Sources, outlets, sources, sure, outlets, sources. All right. Yeah,
1: you're calling me promiscuous. That's <laughs> yeah. what I am. We
0: are.
1: Now you know what I've really been doing these last nine months.
0: You have your hands in many places. Yes. Oh, my. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Who have you been talking to?
2: It's great to have you back, John. Thanks oh, so
1: much for it's great to be coming Thank you for back out me. to
0: talk with us. We're in Middletown, Connecticut today. Yeah, we're at the Russell Library in a, a room with very tall ceilings, so our voices might sound a little different today. It's a cloudy, rainy day outside, so we're happy to be inside talking about books. Yes, we are. That's yeah. true. So, John, so what have Chris, you been reading?
1: What have I been What haven't I been reading? <laughs> well, Chris, I've been reading a lot of mysteries and thrillers. <laughs> We were actually just talking. I took a little break from I got a little break from all the reviewing I had to do, and then you sort of want to read anything but a mystery or thriller. Mm-hmm. I never thought in my life I would say that, yeah. but I have reached a point where it's nice to step away yeah. for a little while. Yeah. Not too long. So do you want me to catch you up on some of the books that I've been reading? Yeah,
2: absolutely. And they don't necessarily have to be mysteries or thrillers, but,
1: you know, whatever. I'm sure most of them will be. Yeah. All right, so I am just going to run down a little... List of books. Some of sort of my highlights from January to now. Jump in, interrupt me, laugh at me, mock me, make fun of me. Uh, we will do Please do a all drop. of the I'm above. gonna do
2: spitballs today. That's like <laughs> a,
1: a <straw>? prerequisite <laughs> of being on this show, you know. Um, <laughs> And then I have a couple previews for things that are going to be coming out over the summer that I'm kind of excited about. I will preface this with, I can't really say it's a best of because I haven't read everything out there, but these are the ones, you know, looking back that sort of stuck with me. I think I'm going to try to go chronologically. How scary is that? I love
0: chronological order. I know. It's so organized. I'm impressed already, Not always. Just with this paper. Well, well you, did, you know...
1: We had some crazy weather last night, and of course, I was planning on doing this and writing it all out, and we lost power. And then I had to put my mom to bed in the dark, and then the power <laughs> came up, and it was like 11.30 at night. And I said, Man, oh, yeah, but I like your pen too. So. Thank you. Thanks. I got it at the Wesleyan bookstore, the RJ Julia bookstore. Oh, I did, nice. it's kind of cool. like that, it's
2: really nice. Anyway, yeah. I
0: just touched its pen.
1: You did, you <laughs> did.
0: <laughs> Chris has pen, and well,
1: <laughs> all right. Um, So I'm going to start with a title that I think a lot of people are going to be familiar with uh, Because it was sort of the first big thriller of the year Uh, The Woman in the Window by A.J. Finn I don't know if either of you have read read it I've read it, I have not read it You'd probably like it It's kind of cool because it's very contemporary But it also has a very Hitchcockian vibe And the protagonist, the unreliable protagonist Is a woman whose name is Anna Fox She's agoraphobic, she's a child psychologist She has dependency issues She hasn't, you know, left her apartment in months and months and months. She sort of just – she watches film noir classics and she drinks and she pops pills and she dispenses advice online. So, you know, people aren't necessarily very uh – you know, they're not necessarily believers in what she has to say because she presents as a little bit unstable. And this all sort of comes to a head when she's looking out her window across the street one day and she sees her neighbors in what appears to be a fight. And she believes that the husband has stabbed and killed his wife. Um, And so she attempts to report this to the authorities and they don't necessarily believe it. And it just sort of spirals uh, from there. Interesting book. I actually, I liked it a lot because it was sort of the classic and the contemporary mixed together. Yeah, uh, yeah. And what was interesting is that the author, um, it's pseudon- pseud- pseudonymous. is that right? You know pseudonym? We'll just say a pen name. A.J. Oh, no. Finn is a pen, I'm name. Not a pen name. Yeah Yes,
2: yeah, yeah. so it's
1: a pen name. Um, but the gentleman who wrote the book is his debut novel, but he actually worked in the publishing industry uh, for 10 years in New York and London, acquiring and publishing the type of books that he now writes, mm-hmm. so it obviously served him well because that just like took off.
2: Excellent. Now, the whole issue of unreliable narrators I know some people love unreliable narrators and others hate them mm-hmm. and I think the, the girl on the train right. that was unreliable narrator territory so right. is it kind of a vibe like that in terms a of a little of bit you know it, this
1: one I it didn't bother me there were some pretty surprising moments I think it has been sort of overdone recently mm-hmm. because you know gone girl girl on the train it sort of started this trend and then everybody wants to do it um, but I think there is enough originality in this that it was pulled off pretty nicely so that was a good one. Uh, another January title was The Chalk Man by wow. CJ Tudor.
2: See, this one Anne was telling us about, I think, wasn't it? The Chalk Man? Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, that,
1: right? you should read that one. It was interesting. It's yeah. because again, it sort of it feels very familiar, but it also has a very fresh vibe to it. Like you read it, and you think Stephen King. You know, you think it's sort of like a hybrid of it and uh, Stand by Me. Yeah, interesting. But it's very you know unique in its own way. So it has dual narratives. It alternates between the years 1986 and 2016, uh, and it sort of follows these group of friends, uh, one of whom Eddie is now a school teacher and in 1986 he and his friends they discover a dismembered body in the woods
0: (laughs) haha nice (laughs) you'll
1: lose your head over this one really Um, but (laughs) but the creepy thing is the author was inspired by her young daughter uh, was given chalk is a present, and then was drawing things on their driveway, and then the adults were drawing the chalk, and some of the stuff looked kind of creepy. And the premise of this book is that this group of kids, you know, back when they were younger, that's how they communicated with each other. They would draw chalk figures, Mm -hmm. and each one had a specified color. And one day, uh, I believe it's Eddie, comes out of his house, and he finds a chalk figure on the ground, and they follow the chalk figure and the instructions, and that's what leads them to the body. And they find out that someone has sort of broken their code. Um, So, you know, you take something simple and sweet and turn it sinister yeah. and i'm all for that <laughs> okay. type of thing see, what
2: makes me think ann talked about that one because she also talked or in the past about i think it's joe nesbo's the snowman yeah Interesting. she i think i think it was the chalkman she's talking about i could be wrong it but might have it. Sound
1: good. oh snowman i started that and i just i didn't finish it oh. it wasn't that i didn't like it i just yeah. i wasn't reviewing it for anything i mm-hmm. wanted to see it I wanted to see the movie, so I figured okay. I'd read the book first. Yeah. I didn't finish the book. I haven't seen the movie, oh. but I have to tell you, the most entertaining thing is his protagonist's name is Harry Hole. Harry and what? Hole. Harry Hole. Isn't that it? What? Uh, yeah. Unless. <laughs> I'm, that, I'm not, was that like the uh, translator <laughs> joke? I'd, well, I was like, can this possibly be real? Please tell me I got that right. And I don't know. It's something that has like a connotation to it because
0: oh, I'm Harry sure Hall. it's Harry Hole. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe I missed it. That could be.
0: Oh, my God, they so funny. Oh now God. people
1: are going to be like, no, that's not it. It's this dirty name instead. But So it left a memory. It left an impression, I love, yeah, even though I, name I, name I uh, promise I will get back to it. I'll eventually watch the movie. Um, <laughs> books are better than movies, people. You probably don't have to say that, right? But you should know that.
2: Oh, man. So where do you go what from there? What a name right
1: now, right? I know. Uh, so another really good one. A lot of good books came out in January yeah. um, that I really like. There's another one I'm not sure if you have heard of, but it's called The Wife Between yeah. Us. Uh, and it was by Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pecinan I may have just butchered that I apologize if I did but actually Greer had a two decades long career as an editor at Simon and Schuster and Sarah had previously written seven novels but this was their first collaboration and it was pretty awesome i have to say there are I pride myself on, you know, being able to guess the twists and the endings, and I get mad if I don't because I like to, like, think that I'm smart. I'm not really, but I like to think that I am. And this one, like, my jaw dropped a couple of times, and that hardly ever happens, and that was one of my first reads of the year, so that sort of, you know... Set a tone, and actually, if you don't mind, I'm gonna actually read you um, a little bit from the synopsis of the book because I think Absolutely. it gives you a better as idea long as of it. It's
2: shorter than four minutes. It Emily is shorter about than it. four minutes. <laughs> I
1: can do it in like thirty seconds, maybe less. So it says, when you read this book, you will make many assumptions, and you know what happens when we make assumptions? Yes. You make an ass of me and me. And I make an ass <laughs> of me. And me. Uh, You will assume you are reading a book about a jealous ex-wife. You will assume she is obsessed with her replacement, a beautiful younger woman who is about to marry the man they both love. You will assume you know the anatomy of this tangled love triangle. Assume nothing. Twisted and deliciously chilling, uh, the wife between us exposes the secret complexities of an enviable marriage and the dangerous truths we ignore in the name of love. Read between the lines. It's just really good. I encourage people to pick it up because it was pretty surprising yeah. so I'm is it super scary a, no okay. not super scary but very psychological it's a mind okay. bender okay like you're gonna you're gonna think you know exactly what's going on and then you're gonna realize you know nothing okay. and then you're gonna think you know again but you don't
0: interesting Ah, yeah. okay my okay. okay. curiosity I like the title too The Wife Between Us right and, yeah you know, as long as there's no um, blood splatter that one sounds very it nice. wasn't gory okay. it
1: wasn't gory all right, I still don't remember it being gory, but I'm the one who laughs at, like, you know, dismemberment. <laughs> I know. And heads yeah, and exactly. <laughs> there yeah. was none of that kind of gore. <laughs> it's very tame. Um, and oddly enough, my next recommendation is just The Wife um, by Alifair Burke. Oh, um, cool. and it's a sort of rare standalone novel for her. Domestic, very timely with the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. totally ripped from the headlines. Um, But it's a domestic thriller in which a wife, Angela, must decide between defending her husband, his name is Jason, and saving herself. Jason is an economics professor. He has a best-selling nonfiction book out, a pricey consultation business, and... He's very prevalent in the media. You know, he's making the talk show circuit, radio shows. Things seem to be going really, really well for him until one of his interns hits him with a sexual harassment lawsuit. Um, and then things start to spiral. Um, but not only does it spiral for him, but also his wife because she has her own secrets to keep. Uh, so she sort of has to choose between her marriage and her own well-being. Again, many, many twists. And Ella Burke is actually writing a screenplay for it. So it's going to be a movie pretty soon. So that was really good, very timely. And Alan Fairbrook, she was a prosecutor. She teaches law now at Hofstra, so she knows her stuff. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Sounds good. I love books like that where something happens and the person is just stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. Like, what do you do? It's like, there
1: are no good choices here. It's not going to end well for people. Um, But, yeah, that was excellent. One of her best, I think. Um, and then, too, at the end of January, Meg Gardner's Into the Black Nowhere. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I had never read Meg Gardner until last year. She had a book on Subout, and that was really sort of a breakout novel. Mm-hmm. And it was based on the Gemini—or not the Gemini, the Zodiac killings. Um, so she had her own you know, serial killer known as the Prophet, but his crimes and his communication were very similar to what happened in the Zodiac case. Uh, And so she introduced Caitlin Hendricks in that. Um, At that point, she was a narcotics cop. And the hook was sort of that she was the daughter of Detective Max Hendricks, who worked the profit case, Um, never solved it. And it sort of brought him to the brink of sanity and collapsed their family. So when he reappears, seemingly she gets drawn into it. Book two sort of mimics the Ted Bundy crimes. So she's now an FBI officer. Um, agent and women in Texas just start disappearing on Saturday nights um, without a trace, and then bodies start to turn up, and she gets drawn into it, of course. Very dark, but interesting an interesting way to continue a series yeah. because you know she's taking these famous killers and kidnappers and criminals that we all know that are kind of notorious in giving a fresh twist while paying I don't know if homage is the right term, but you know, sort of revisiting their crimes in a fresh yeah. way.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say that makes it seem real. Yeah. You know, something is yeah.
1: Yeah, because you think, oh, this seems very familiar. Mm -hmm. And I kept, you know, it's funny. I kept thinking there's something about this that is, like, striking a chord with me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize until I was doing my research that it was intentionally, like, a riff on the Ted Bundy thing. And then I said, of course.
0: Yeah, wow. And he drove that
1: VW Bug, and I always think of Herbie. And I'm like, there's (laughs) there's a juxtaposition.
0: (laughs) I always just think about, like, I think he used to... Put a
1: fake cast on his arm. Yeah, that's right. right. And And, and girls would feel bad and offer to help him, you know, Mm -hmm. carry books or whatever. And then they would get into his car and realize there were no door handles to get out. and Creepy.
2: There you go. Yeah, I'm just not. I want to get into true crime because I we had a conversation recently about true crime. I just can't go there, but yeah.
1: Really? Yeah. Well, I actually have a couple true crime recommendations coming up. I don't read a lot of true crime, but I've read a couple interesting books, so I'll get to those. do you want me to just keep going? Yeah, please. This is great. Okay.
2: I like
1: it. Hey, we're moving on I mean, to February.
2: Ooh, <laughs> you made it two months into the and year. I mean, it really has been a good reading year. I mean, knock on wood.
1: You know, yeah, James for mysteries and us, thrillers. But, yeah, she said yeah. it. So if it's all downhill like after May, it's Chris's <laughs> fault. That's right. Better years than mine. <laughs> um, so, I don't know, Lisa Gardner, fans, she has a new book out, had a new book out called Look For Me. Uh, that came out in February. It's the ninth book in her Dee Warren series. Dee is a detective in Boston, um, but the cool thing about this book is she brings back a character, Flora Dane, uh, who was in an earlier book, Find Her, which came out a couple of years ago. Uh, she was a kidnap kidnapping survivor, and she sort of turned vigilante, Um, and what she does now is she's sort of become a resource for troubled girls, uh, troubled women, and she teaches them how to thrive and survive and advocate for themselves, but, you know, not always on the right side of the law, it's sort of by any means necessary, and she ends up becoming Dee Dee's confidential informant, which neither one of them ever would have expected, because Dee Dee is very much law and order, and... Floridaine is not. Mm. Um, but it's an interesting case because what happens is they're called to the scene of a crime and they find sort of, um, what do I want to call them? A makeshift family, I guess. So they arrive, there's four people dead, uh, two adults, a man and a woman, and two children. And there's a fifth member of the family, but she's gone missing. And they don't know if she's a target or if she was the killer.
0: Ooh. Interesting. So
1: it all plays out... Um, Really interestingly, and Lisa Gardner likes to incorporate social issues into her work, so this one sort of centers on uh, the inherent problems with the foster care system and what can become of that. So pretty twisted, but interesting if you like the intermingling of characters from different books and series. um, She's always a great read.
0: but it's a standalone someone could pick that up and do fine with it you definitely
1: could read it as a standalone I think you'll have a better appreciation you know of it if you've read earlier books because there's a lot about you know her home life uh, her husband, her daughter, and the struggle to sort of find balance between work and home. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, this all plays out that morning. I think it's like a Saturday morning and she wakes up and they're very excited because they're going to go get their first dog and then she gets called to work and she misses that. And it's just sort of a recurring theme of all the things that she's missed because of the responsibilities of her job. Um, so that is definitely a continuation of the personal story that's been the overall arc. Okay. Trouble balancing work-life balance. <laughs> what is that? It's a joke, is what it is.
0: You know, I was thinking, do I want to read about that? We <laughs> live it. We live, live it. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it makes you feel good to know other people struggle with the same problems.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Makes <laughs> it relatable. Yes,
1: for sure. It does. I have a young adult recommendation too. yeah. Because I like to read young adult from time to time. I just think there's such an immediacy to it that you know sometimes it isn't. A parent in adult books. And I discovered somebody who is new to me, and I've like gone back and tried to read everything because I think she's that good. Yeah. Um, so in February, Natasha Preston published You Will Be Mine. Uh, it's a young adult thriller. She has four standalone young adult thrillers out now. Uh, she's best known, I think, for her first book, which was called The Seller. And she actually got her start on Wattpad, which is, like, this online writing forum uh, for, you know, just amateur writers who may not be published, but they can put their stories out there. And she started just as a reader, Mm -hmm. and then she started, you know, dreaming thoughts in her head at night and said, wow, maybe I should commit this, you know, to the ether. And somebody, I guess, stumbled upon it, and she has this great career now as a novelist. And so, anyway, what happens is there's a group of teens. uh, They're actually teenage-ish, maybe early 20s. I don't know. I think they're second-year college students takes place, starts about two weeks prior to Valentine's Day, so of course I'm already hooked, you know. Teens behaving badly on Valentine's Day, what good could come of this? Nothing. Um, so they share a house, like an off-campus house, and they receive a cryptic message in the weeks leading up to Valentine's Day, something like, roses are red, violets are blue, watch your back, I'm coming for you, you know. Oh, nice. And you have to laugh, it just gets progressively worse from there. Um, but they think it's a joke until one of the group goes missing, And then they sort of stumble upon his body and his heart has been ripped out. And then there's some poetry about that, you know?
2: (laughs) Emily's face is
1: priceless. (laughs) She's like, sign me up. I'm going to read that right now.
0: Oh, my.
1: Um, So anyway, you know, basically it's this group of kids and at the center of it is... Lila, who is our protagonist. You know, she's orphaned now. Her parents died in a car accident on Valentine's Day, which is one of the reasons she is not a fan of the holiday. Um, so, you know, she was already struggling. This obviously makes it just slightly worse. But the friends... <laughs> just a little. And then the friends start dying, like, one by one. Oh, man. Um, And it sort of, you know, it reminds you of classic teen horror movie a little bit. But that's why I like it because it actually has a realism to it that a lot of those books mm. don't. Um, you know, teens act like teens and they talk like teens, um, which I think is missing in a lot of <laughs> young adult it's true, books. Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: yeah.
1: And so it sort of I, as you all probably know, really like the movie Scream in that series, and this sort of reminded me of that in terms of the realism of it. Um, So I read that, and like I said, I immediately said, oh, you have to go back and reread, you know, everything uh, that she's done. So I've read two or three of them now. Um, But that was a pretty good read, you know, if you like Wow, there's what? a theme here. I'm like telling you about this one's missing a head. This one's missing a heart.
0: I know. I was trying to think of like it's not beheaded. It's de-hearted, and then I realized it's heartless. Heartless. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Heartless on Valentine's Day. Yep.
1: There's some symbolism. That <laughs> <laughs> took a lot of thought for me. i like, I don't even know if I realized. That. Oh, there's a connection there. Wow, this is illuminating. Well,
2: and for. Backstory on John. So he used to write for the Hartford
1: Books Examiner. Books examiner. I was going to say, what are you going to tell these people? And then
2: you, did, <laughs> you also
0: did the Scream page for that. Oh, too, that's right. Yeah. Scream Examiner. Yeah, I did it for John. a while. What, well, is, what is that? It's
1: a movie, screen. Yeah, but what do you mean he did? I did a. Uh... For Examiner.com, I said when when they decided to do, like, a screen for all these years, it was, like, 15 years after the first movie, I thought to myself, I'm going to be following this obsessively anyway, so I might as well, like, put it to some kind of use, so I pitched them, like, can I do this column for you? They're filming, you know, I can get pictures and reports from the set and stuff. And they said, yeah. yeah. And it ended up being really, really cool because they were they were shooting in uh, Michigan in residential areas. They, like, rented out houses where they could full butcher people, you know, in them. <laughs> um, but this is all happening in, like, the middle of this quiet suburban neighborhood. So all these people are on set, and they're sneaking pictures and all kinds of stuff, which... Drove Les Craven crazy because you know the whole thing about the screen movies is they don't want you to know what's happening and what yeah. the ending is going to be. Who actually
0: gets named? Right yeah. or who right. doesn't? I think.
1: Yeah. Um, but it turned out to be a lot of fun because my wife and I argued about this. She's like, you know, you're already working a full-time job and you're doing the book column. Why are you gonna? Why are you gonna write another one? Like yeah. you don't sleep, and nobody's gonna read it and nobody's gonna care. And wow! And I live to prove her wrong. Like that is one of my sole purposes in life. <laughs> Like when you're married for a while, as great as I love you is, like the three best words are you were right, and I live for that. So the Scream franchise examiner thing became huge, huge, Uh, and it did really well, and I actually ended up, um, somebody I came to know, RJ Torber, he works for Fun World, who provides the mask ghost face that is known as Scream. We are so off on a a tangent here, but I have to tell you how I proved my wife wrong.
0: Of course oh. you do. This is the most important what, part of the yeah. podcast.
1: Chelsea, are you listening? I will. When it goes up, I'll, I'll tag you on Facebook. Yeah. Such and
2: such. I know. I was yeah. going to say. What Chelsea minute is had, this? I had nothing to do with this. This wasn't planned. Right. It
1: it really wasn't. But these are just the best kind of stories, right? So anyway, long story, not short at all. Um, there was going to be the Hollywood premiere, and I'm sitting at my desk at work on a Friday, and my email is open, and R.J. Torbert had. Uh, He'd been invited to the premiere. He had tickets. He couldn't make it. And he was like, do you want them? Oh, my. So, yes, please. So I ended up there on a Sunday. Like, this is Friday at work. And I'm like, oh,
0: my God. Oh, my God. So Friday in
2: Connecticut.
1: Yeah, Sunday in Hollywood. And then Monday back home or Tuesday, whatever (laughs) it was. But but it was crazy. I got to meet Nev Campbell and David Arquette and Courtney Cox and all the people that were in the movie and that I idolized since the first one came out. And I said, "Ha, Chelsea, you're wrong," <laughs> and I was so right. <laughs> maybe that's why I liked that the Booker. <laughs> maybe that was like the subconscious yeah, part it, of it. It
2: was, yeah. yeah. It had everything to do with your marriage. Yes. 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 Yeah.
1: <laughs> do you think that has something to do with my reading taste? <laughs> like, huh. Moving on. <laughs> um, do you want me to move on?
2: Yeah, yeah. All right. on All right. So
1: I have another February book for you. I actually just read this one. It's called Mr. Tender's Girl uh, by Carter Wilson. I I, yeah, I hadn't heard of him before. I hadn't heard the, the book. I picked it up, you know, one day and I just said, oh, that sounds like a John book. So, of course, you know, it's extremely violent and gratuitous and <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm always like, I'm never going to read
0: anything.
1: <laughs> 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 See the faces. <laughs> What a really interesting premise because – so we have 14-year-old Alice Hill, right, and she's living, I believe, in London, uh, and she is nearly stabbed to death by two peers who claim their act was a sacrifice for a man named Mr. Tinder. Tender. Sorry, Mr. Tender. But here's the thing. <laughs> tender. Tender,
0: Tender. <laughs> no Did they swipe? Yeah. yeah, right? I'm like,
1: why does that sound right? It's yeah. Mr. Tender. T E N D E R. Look, okay. okay. I can spell. Um, but anyway, here's the thing Mr. Tender is not a real person. So they made a sacrifice to Mr. Tender, who is actually a character in a graphic novel. Oh, He's good. a bartender who sort of, um, what he does is he preys on his patrons by trading desires for sacrifices. So he says he can fulfill their deepest, oh. darkest desires, but what will they give in return? And of course, what do people say? Anything. Um, And the real kicker is that the graphic novel was written by Alice's father. Alice was the victim of the stabbing, so this whole creation sort of resulted in a terrible trauma, which, again, you know, ripped the family apart. And Alice, um, this is about 14, 15 years later, she has come to America. She's living in New Hampshire, running a coffee shop. She's changed her last name, and she thinks that she's sort of kind of put all this behind her, and then she realizes that she's being stalked and that the present and the past are about to collide.
0: That is creepy. That sounds really creepy. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah.
1: Like, well, I couldn't say no to that. Faustian
2: yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, wow. creepiness. It's like yeah.
1: super creepy. That's a John <laughs>
2: Yeah. Wow.
1: What was the title of that one? Again? Uh, that one is Mr. Tender's Girl by okay. Carter Wilson. Carter Wilson. And he's written a couple other books as well. I have not read them, but mm-hmm. now I feel like they need to... Oh, and you know it's really creepy? No, Apparently, thinking. it's somehow inspired by a real story. I don't know all the details, Ooh. but I was like, whoa. Well, because well,
0: well. Well, that one sounds like the whole bartender thing. That just sounds kind of realistic right. yeah. It, it could happen yeah.
1: especially yeah. when it's like the honky bartender that right. everybody loves and except for the men right. Yeah. right yeah and then they use I'll it against you yeah true true <laughs> very true point Chris <laughs> Um, Also, if people, I think we talked a little bit maybe about Karen Olson last time Mm -hmm. I was on the show. I think I had recommended one of her books. Well, she has a new one out, uh, came out in February, and it's Vanished, which is the fourth book in her Black Hat thrillers. And it may very well be the final book. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just wanted to mention that that's out there now, and her protagonist is a sort of... Reformed computer hacker who ends up relapsing. You know, she's pulled back into it very dramatically, but it's to save her life and other people's lives. Uh, So this time around, she actually ends up going to Paris, France. It's almost sort of back to beginnings because there was something that happened many, many years ago in Paris um, that has sort of set the course for her life since then. So she is returning to that after trying to hide out in South Carolina for a while and, you know, getting discovered for who she really is. So then she's sort of back on the run. But really interesting because they're sort of almost like techno thrillers because Mm -hmm. she's a hacker. But it's not to the point, you know, there's not gonna be technical details okay. that bore you so to it's death. Like it's a fine eight
2: hundred pages no. long. Okay. No. I no, no, no. I'm not even sure
1: trailer. if it's three hundred pages okay. long, but it's very fast paced. You know, all the information that's in there is handled pretty deftly so you don't okay. feel it's not like a manual or anything. <laughs>
0: So I, you, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You go ahead. Are the, you know the, did you guys read The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? Yes. So is the part where Elizabeth Salander is doing all the computer, you know, like how she builds layers mm-hmm. people's computers and you don't realize that she's tracking everything. Is that techno thriller? I That's wouldn't a, call that a techno thriller
2: because it's not, I, I personally anyway, because I, I think it's more about her. I think it's a character driven mm-hmm. okay. story as opposed to technology driven story. Okay, so if techno-thriller that.
0: means that the technology piece is what's the first main and foremost. Okay,
2: That's kind it. of my understanding. Like, you know, the Hunt for Red October, mm-hmm. you know, it was more about the submarines right. than anything, mm-hmm. okay. I think. What do you think, John?
1: I'm thinking maybe I shouldn't have called it a techno-thriller. Oh, <laughs> no, I don't
2: know. <laughs> <laughs> We jumped on that, didn't we? I know. <laughs> <Like>, uh <uh-oh. laughs>
1: I don't know. I would say yeah. it's... Probably more character driven um, than the technology. Yeah. Uh, and Karen will say herself too. You know, occasionally she'll take some liberties because the technology changes so quickly that yeah. she's like, well, if it doesn't exist today, it might very well tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but the fun thing about that fun, not for her, is you know, in doing all this research, she found out how easy it can be for you know somebody to steal your identity yeah. or hack into your computer or whatever. And it's actually it's completely changed you know sort of the way she lives that aspect of her life to the point where you know she'll try not to swipe her credit card because it's so easy to you know put a reader in and not even realize that you're having your personal information stolen from you Uh, and that's you know something that's a part of the book is somebody puts something into an atm device and all of a sudden they have all your information yeah Um, so it's sort of a little cautionary too, because yeah. for all the good that technology does, it also opens a lot of darker doors. Absolutely,
2: like hotel keys. Like, yeah. you know, people take those; they don't. A lot of people don't return them anymore mm-hmm. because information is on that. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah the, the whole techno thriller thing is interesting. Maybe <coughs> listeners, if you like know like good techno thrillers and have a good definition of
1: techno yeah, if you thrillers, know what one is, tell us. Yeah, <laughs> let us, let I us would know. love to know yeah.
2: because I think like the girl with the dragon tattoo, like that adds realism. And yeah. yeah. Adapt to her character that she is so right not a people
0: person, right? She's a technology person, and uh, to this day, I mean, how many years ago was that first book? Ten? I don't know. To this day, if my computer is acting weird, I'm like, I wonder if someone's in here <laughs> and I'm seeing something, but there's a whole world going on behind it, you know? Yes. she was so good at that, but anyway, yeah. and that was you know, the technology, you know, has got had to have improved. Boy, now I think we should all just lock ourselves in our houses and not do anything. But I'm read. good with that. That's <laughs> most of my life. Read, read hardcover books. <laughs> you yes. don't even use your e-reader. It's scary.
2: <laughs> you never know who's <laughs> well, working in there. Well, new devices slipped into the hardcover mm-hmm. the oh, binding. Okay. You know, okay. like you in libraries. and at Borders too, we used to the little chiclet yeah. devices. Oh, yeah. You put them in the binding.
0: Oh, God. So, There's cameras in yeah. your hardcover books now, everybody. Look out. Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> Thank well, God nobody reads.
0: <laughs> I just finished a mystery. It's uh,
2: Linda Greenlaw's new one, oh. The Meanie Twist. Wow, you made oh. that up. I shouldn't talk about this, but there <laughs> there is a character who has a microchip in him. Oh, wow. So that's all I'll say because it's... Spoiler
1: to say more. Anyway. Nice little teaser. Yeah, that
0: was a major teaser.
1: It was. Okay. And you know, I have to say, a little aside, this one will be much shorter, but The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, we were talking before we started recording about you know whether or not we ever put books down if they don't grab us mm-hmm. semi-immediately, and that was one of the few books that I found, like, the first hundred pages or so really, really slow going, mm-hmm. and I kept going, and then it just took off like a rocket, and, yeah. like, the final, you know, 75% of the book was amazing, but I almost didn't get to it. Yeah. Hmm.
2: yeah. Wow. It's interesting. Yeah, crazy. Some of those books, it's a act of faith to keep going. Yeah,
1: I yeah, yeah now, and I worry now. Like, I'm reading more than I was then, so I worry now, wow, I probably would have not picked that back up, and then I would have missed out. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. So this one's going to be a quick recommendation. But March, uh, Steve Barry had a book out called The Bishop's Pawn. Uh, I'd never read Steve Barry before. I was familiar with the name, but not really familiar with his books. Uh, it's actually book 13 in his series featuring Cotton Malone but it's the first one he's written in the first person Uh, so you sort of get to know Cotton in a more intimate way I think and it was actually published to coincide with the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination uh, because the book is very much about Martin Luther King's assassination and it begs the question did James Earl Ray act alone or was he part of a conspiracy and did the very well documented feud between J. Edgar Hoover and King somehow play into that Uh, and he comes to a conclusion that's you know pretty largely based on the facts and it's compelling but i think also very controversial so there's my little teaser right. for that you know Ooh. all is not as it appears that
0: yeah. sounds good it does.
1: Yeah. yeah but interesting mix of fact and fiction mm-hmm. um so that was an interesting read for me uh another Really interesting book that I liked a lot was Not That I Could Tell by Jessica Strasser. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She only has two books out. Her last book was Almost Missed You. She's the editor-at-large of Writer's Digest magazine, and before transitioning to a novelist, she was their editorial director for about a decade, so she's got a really good understanding you know, of the nuts and bolts of publishing. And she writes really interesting uh, sort of domestic books. In this new one, uh, the concept is sort of a group of neighborhood women, most of whom, you know, have children or families, spend a rare Saturday evening, you know, drinking and gossiping around a fire pit. And then by Monday morning, one of them has disappeared with her two children without a trace. Um, And... The question is what happened to this person uh, her husband becomes suspected of domestic abuse so there's a question of whether or not he killed her or they ran away from him and of course you know small town gossip, media circus he said, she said, it just it spirals from there but I actually got to interview Jessica for Mystery Scene and one of the things that I hadn't realized is she actually had a friend who was a victim of domestic violence killed mm-hmm. um, and so the book is fiction but she was able to sort of take the facts of that and weave a story into it.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Very. Is, is that, um, so that is available online, right, Jen?
1: I actually don't believe it is. I, I think it's know. only in the physical magazine. Okay, okay. Which yeah. is on newsstands now.
2: Yeah, the Mystery Scene's really good. Yeah. It's one of the magazines I've subscribed to on and off over the years, and it's, if you want to keep in touch with Mystery... The genre, it's a a great
1: resource. Yeah, I I just love that they cover such a wide variety of authors. I mean, you're going to get your James Pattersons and Tess Gerritsons and things like that, but they're also really interested in up-and-coming writers and writers who may only have two or three books out. I'm constantly surprised when I pitch them ideas, you know, what they go for, what they don't go for, um, but that's been a lot of fun. They're very, you know, open. They want you to meet new writers, Mm -hmm. which is great. And Jessica's really, really talented and got a great background. So don't drink by the fire pit. Yeah. yeah. Nothing good comes of that either. (laughs) Nothing good comes of any any of these. Alcohol fire, you know, it's
2: not a great combination.
1: No. No. Going
0: out in
2: public. (laughs) I don't need that. I
1: I just shouldn't go out in public, but see what happens when I do.
2: Oh
1: my gosh. Uh, So I have one more fiction recommendation. I actually, I just wanted to note that there is finally a new murder she wrote novel out. It's a date with murder. Um, And it's, I believe, book number 47 in the series, but it's the first one to be written by John Land because Donald Bain had written the entire series from book one um, and he passed away recently um, and he'd actually been a long-time collaborator with his wife Renee Paley Bain. Most people didn't know that until recently because just collaborated probably on dozens of the books just before passing. She actually she saw her first byline on a murder she wrote book. Uh, it came out in October of 1 year and she passed away in January of the next, so the timing of that was kind of, you know, crazy. Yeah. But A lot of people were wondering if the series was going to continue or not. And John Land has taken it over. And it's kind of interesting because he's more known for his thrillers, Mm -hmm. whereas The Murder, She Wrote books are more of a cozy series. Mm -hmm. Um, So this one is a little bit more self-aware. Like, you know, I mean, The Body Count and Cabot Cove are really just jokes about the fact that it's it's become like crime central for this cozy little community. That she's
2: actually a serial killer herself. Right? She must be doing it. (laughs) Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah, I mean... Poor little Cabot Cove. Um, But it's just great to revisit Jessica. There is a little bit of a different feel to it. Like, there are a couple scenes that actually do feel a little bit more like thriller. Mm -hmm. um, But at the same time, you know, it's the same character. It's the same banter. So people, I think, who've enjoyed the books probably will enjoy revisiting them. And, you know, spoiler alert, Jessica Fletcher lives because there's another book coming out in a couple months.
0: (laughs) I,
2: I haven't read any
1: of those. I should try because I do – I love the TV series.
2: I loved that show. Oh, me yeah. too. Yeah. We actually went to uh, – oh,
1: never mind. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, we, went yeah. yeah, so yeah, we went to the house. I was so jealous when I saw your picture. I'm still not over it, obviously, because you didn't even have to finish your thought. I know exactly where you were going.
0: <laughs> He's not bitter, apparently.
1: No, entirely bitter. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, there seems to be, like, this technological theme because – in this book too, Jessica ends up sort of hooking up—not um, hooking up in the sense that you know, nothing's cozy anymore. So, um, <laughs> Anyway, I'm, well, I'm talking a lot, so I'm not going to give you the whole premise of the book, but basically, uh, she hooks up with this guy who, not she, oh, this is getting worse and worse know, and worse. Yeah, I know,
0: the cougars, these things yeah. just happen, it's I know.
1: So, she's introduced to a young man um, who has very good technological skills, like he is able to hack if he needs to, um, so she sort of has to work beyond the means of the law, too, uh, by sort of collaborating with this man to get some information that she very much needs. So again, uh, it's sort of of bringing murder she wrote into a new generation a little bit it's Mm -hmm. just a little bit more progressive i think than some of the older books but nice to know it's continuing and the next book is called manuscript for murder Mm -hmm. so i'm already like i'm like that's gotta have some insider you know publishing information in it so i'm all for that one i think it's out in october so
0: had you read some of the other
1: books oh my gosh i've been reading them for decades so
0: did you feel like with the new authorship that it was good
1: yeah I mean, I was a little worried. I know John Land and he 's a great writer, but he just writes in such a different tone mm-hmm. um, because his books they have they 're heavy technology and really strong protagonists, and there 's you know violence and bad language and all the stuff that you can 't really get away with in a cozy um, so I was you know worried what the tone was going to be, but I think overall. He did a really nice job of sort of capturing the essence. Um, So you know, he pays homage, but it's very much his own book too. So you just you have to sort of be willing to take that step. It's not the same murder she wrote, but it's very similar.
0: Okay.
2: So do you know any of the background? Like, how did they choose him? Did a bunch of writers step forth and say they wanted to continue it on, or was he with their that publishing house?
1: I honestly don't know. Um, I don't believe that most of most or maybe any of his books were published through Uh, the Murder, She Wrote publisher. I think it's the Berkeley Prime Crime. I think that he and Donald Bain uh, were familiar, friendly, and I think that maybe after Renee passed away, it's possible that they talked about collaborating, Mm -hmm. um, because the last couple years of his life, Donald Bain wasn't in great health either, Mm -hmm. so it was obviously harder for him to be the prolific writer that he had been, because a lot of people don't know that he did a lot of ghost writing, so well over 100 books written in his career, Um, and he did the Margaret Truman series, too. Oh, wow. um, and just, you know, in recent years started to have his name on the cover of those books, too. So, awesome. Murder, She Wrote, back. Yeah. yeah, check it out. I bought the first one in 1994. I found it at Kmart, and I've <laughs> been reading them ever since. <laughs> wow. Yeah, isn't that it. crazy? Yeah. My, I was like a 70-year-old woman when I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me now. <laughs> Even worse. <laughs> All right, so I will try to be quick, but um, I do have... Two nonfiction recommendations that I read recently that I think people might enjoy. So one is The Undercover Edge uh, by Derek Lavasour, I believe is his name. People might be familiar with him. He was a decorated police sergeant from Central Falls, Rhode Island. And before becoming a supervisor, he was assigned to their investigative division. He was a detective there and he worked undercover for three years. People probably know him best from TV because he actually appeared on CBS's Big Brother um, and he won. Using the techniques that he shares in this book, but he also was featured in O.J. Is O.J. Innocent? The missing evidence, and now he's on a new docu-series, Breaking Homicide, um, where he and a colleague investigate sort of cold cases and try to resolve them, and that's sort of been a big hit. So, um, what he does is he shares his personal mindset regarding human behavior and emotion through the lens of an undercover detective. So he uses the strategies you know that he used when he was a detective to try to help you of a more fulfilled, um, aware life, and some of the things that he covers are the power of observation and profiling. Profiling in a good way, not like you think cops and profile, (laughs) and you're like, oh... Who would write a book about that? Um, The effects of using silence, the benefits of interpreting body language and tuning into your own sixth sense, the importance of self-awareness and adaptability to surroundings, and also the value of developing a personal ops plan with a defined mission. So it's sort of, I don't know if you would call it a self-help book, but the lens through which it's told is very interesting because he's able to draw on his career and his experiences as an undercover police officer and tell you how he used these things to get results. And honestly, so much of it just comes down to communication with which sounds like a no-brainer, but how many of us even communicate well anymore beyond our computer screens? Right. You know, oh, yeah. we have Facebook and yeah. tweet and text and don't yeah. know how to have a conversation, exactly. which is probably why I'm running my mouth. No, <laughs> no we're
0: happy to have you. Emily, that might be your 2018
1: yeah. nonfiction book. I know I've been searching. It's interesting, and it's not that long. <laughs> it was one of those ones I wasn't anticipating reading. I didn't even know it was available. And I was in a bookstore, and they just they had, like, autographed copies. And I said, oh, I recognize him from the OJ special. Yeah, so I figured, oh, I'll give it a read. Hmm. You know.
0: Yeah.
1: I should probably read some other self help books. <laughs> Got recommendations for those?
0: <laughs> I love self help. Oh, yeah. I just love it. Yeah.
1: Feel- or motivational. Yeah. Uh, I think definitely. we all need that little pick up sometimes. Yeah. And the other one, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are going to be familiar with, is I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. It came out in February, and it chronicles her years-long obsession with identifying the Golden State Killer. Um, and tragically, she died in her sleep before that case was resolved, and even before she was able to finish the manuscript of this book. For people who don't know, the Golden State Killer uh, terrorized California throughout the 70s and mid-1980s. And then sort of when it inexplicably silent just sort of disappeared like sort of like the zodiac but he began as a serial rapist and they believe was responsible for at least 50 sexual assaults in northern california and then he moved south and you know apparently evolved into a a killer as well so they believe he's also responsible for 10 murders at least most of which were pairs of people you know a man and a woman together uh typically in their home and you think, you know, all those crimes and yet decades later, you know, nobody was ever charged. Yeah. Um, well, we'll get to that. But anyway, really interesting book. And Michelle McNamara studied writing. She was a journalist. She was a blogger. Um, and so it's more of narrative nonfiction. So it reads as a true story, but she just has a very distinct um, style. And her passion for truth and justice comes shining through. And it's it's really interesting that just over a month after the book was finally published there was an arrest made in the case and they think that they finally solved it largely due in part to the notoriety of her investigation um in her book and it's you know it has an introduction by Gillian Flynn uh, it has an afterword by her husband Patton Oswalt the comedian um and it's just really really interesting to read especially I guess maybe now in retrospect you know knowing that somebody's been captured and it was actually a retired police officer that they think was committing these heinous crimes, yeah. which does fit with the evidence. But there's a closing chapter in the book that Michelle McNamara wrote that stuck with me um, because it was all about you know your world is closing in on you. The evidence is going to be reinterpreted, retested, reanalyzed, and you're going to be found. So you might as well just walk out the door and show yourself because they're coming for you. And she yeah. was absolutely right. Yeah. Oh. And so yeah. I wonder
0: if the guy read the book. Well, I thought I saw a headline where the police said it had nothing to do with her book. In other words, that her book didn't help them to find him. But I think it's – and I don't know if that's true or not. But I definitely think the fact that she kept it in the news and present I mean, and then the, you know, the publishing of the book had to – Yeah, I think people know, are just
1: say, paying so much more attention to right. it. And I mean she firmly believes – You know, that forensic evidence that DNA testing was going to solve the case. And it is, it looks like DNA testing that led them to this individual. Um, So, I mean, she didn't solve the crime. You know, she died not knowing who done it. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, she got justice and this is sort of. The completion of that yeah. um, so the manuscript is interesting because like I said it wasn't entirely finished so they had to hire they had some of her research assistants and collaborators finish the book for her uh, yeah. and also parts of it were drawn from a lengthy piece that she had done for I believe a magazine and you'd think that might you know take away or detract from the book but not really yeah. you know I mean she has a sort of a her own very unique style, and the rest of the book is very, very different, but knowing the story behind it makes it all the more compelling, I think. So I don't read a lot of true crime, but that one was pretty interesting.
2: So these are upcoming yes, these books are, that are coming out soon yep,
1: that you're looking forward so to. So some good summer reads. Most of them I've read. One of them I haven't, but it just sounds really good. And um, I've read a lot of the author's other works, so I'm pretty confident in saying it's, it'll I be know. memorable. But the first one I am going to recommend, and I have read this one, is The Word is Murder by Anthony Horowitz. <laughs> um, so you may remember him from Magpie Murders, which was mm-hmm. like a mega bestseller yeah. uh, last year. So he is back. And the premise of the book, again, really interesting. So there's a lady named Diana Cowper, um, and one morning she enters a London funeral home and plans her own service, and six hours later she is murdered in her own home. Coincidence? Is it ever coincidence? Um, But what's really interesting is Anthony Horowitz becomes a character in the book.
0: Oh, weird. So it's
1: semi-autobiographical because... You know, he is a character in the book, and he's telling you about other things that he's written and experiences that he's had as a writer. Um, Also, he writes for television, uh, you know, The Midsummer Murders. He wrote for Poirot some episodes, uh, some other TV series. He's very prolific. He's all over the place. But anyway, it's sort of a contemporary, like, Sherlock Holmes type story where he is the Watson, and there's a character, sort of a disgraced detective whose name is, can I find it in here, Daniel Hawthorne. Um, And Daniel Hawthorne is this brawny, eh, you know, he was dismissed from the police, and Sort of very secretive, like he has this whole life that nobody knows anything about. He just seems very nondescript. Um, but he hires Anthony Horowitz to chronicle their journey to solve the case of, you know, how did this woman come to be murdered and how is it tied to the fact that she had literally just planned her funeral service? So, really cool. And actually, I don't know if you're aware, but Anthony Horowitz was actually commissioned by the Conan Doyle estate to write some newer uh, Sherlock Holmes stories. So oh, I, I think, think he's yeah. written two of those. Oh, okay. um, and this is sort of, I think, his own version of it. Mm-hmm. But what I like about his books is they're they're contemporary for the most part, mm-hmm. um, but they're sort of gentle contemporary. And you think, you know, the style of Agatha Christie or the golden age of detective fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that readers are really going to dig it. I think I actually liked it better than Magpie Murders. I liked Magpie Murders a lot, um, but this one just, it's all contemporary for the most part, with a little backstory here and there, and it's going to be the start of a new series, so apparently his character is going to continue. Cool. So that's coming out on June 5th. I have another one coming out on June 5th that I'm going to recommend as well. Uh, A Stone Throw by James W. Ziskin, and that's his sixth Entry in the Ellie Stone Mysteries. Um, and this one is set across, set on, there's a backdrop here, at Saratoga Springs. Oh, I can't even speak. Saratoga Springs? Set we were against, were you? Yeah, so. in New
2: York. We went to the North bookstore there. Ah, I
1: saw the picture. Yeah. yeah, awesome. So it's set against the Sarah- – see, I can speak. Um, so Saratoga Springs is the backdrop, um, and these books take place in the ni- early 1960s, mm-hmm. um, and his protagonist is a young Jewish female reporter named Ellie Stone. So you can imagine you know, being a woman in the 1960s, being Jewish in the 1960s, being the sort of woman in a man's world. The book is great. I've only read a couple of his books, but I think the character is phenomenal. She's really quickly become one of my favorite characters uh, in contemporary fiction, even though she's not herself contemporary. Um, But I think that, you know, if people like sort of some historical background with compelling mysteries and interesting protagonists, she's great. She's very progressive and one of my favorite I was surprised by her. I actually read a book by him for Criminal Element last year to review. I hadn't read him before, and I said, ooh, I like her. I like feisty women. You know that. (laughs)
0: That was a compliment, Chelsea. Yes, it was.
1: (laughs) See, they assume it's about you. (laughs) what have you heard? (laughs) Um, So I will preface this with saying I actually have not read this book yet and I was telling Emily about this before. It's one of those books that arrived in the mail. I got an ARC And all I wanted to do was sit down and read it, but I know I'm going to be reviewing it, and I don't want to forget it. I just read so much that sometimes I can only remember, like, the broad strokes when you're writing a review, you know, four or five months after you've read a book. Because I'm getting older, and my mind (laughs) is not what it used to be. Um, Yeah, just
0: wait another 15 years. Yeah, (laughs) I'm going to go – it's only going to get (laughs) worse.
1: But I feel a little better now. <laughs> um,
0: Start taking those vitamin D's. That's oh all I Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> it's scary. Um so anyway, it's Wendy Corsi Staub's Little Girl Lost. Uh it comes out on July twenty fourth and it's Wendy's prolific. Um she's written almost ninety books. Wow. wow. Yeah, and she's not old, you know, yeah. to have written ninety books. Um, But this is going to be the first book in her Foundling series, and it's sort of rooted in her fascination with genealogy. Mm -hmm. So basically, there's alternating narratives. So there's the discovery of a baby on a pre-dawn Mother's Day in Harlem in May of 1968. And also a serial killer who's been terrorizing New York City. What? Serial killer? (laughs)
0: Um,
1: And then... We jump forward to October of 1987, and we meet that baby as an adult, Amelia Crenshaw, and realize that she may be on a collision course with the killer. You know, was that case solved back in the 60s? Was it not? Um, But I think it's really – I think there's like a genealogy detective sort of thing going on, which is a really interesting premise. I'm not sure how many books it's going to be, but this is just book one. So haven't read it yet, but very much looking forward to it. That's out on July 24th.
2: And is she local? Is she, she new is in New York? She is in
1: – yeah, she's in New York. In new, okay. Yep. Close to the Connecticut border. Yeah. Every yeah. once in a while we can entice her yeah. here.
0: She is yes. prolific because I think you talked about one of her other books last time
1: you were here. Yeah, I probably did. Well. Yeah, she's yeah. Um, been doing about two books a year, and actually for her that's slow. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Sorry, Wendy. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> But she's – yeah, she's – this is a new you know adult psychological suspense series, and she's also doing a uh, cozy mystery series. Um, book three came out in the winter of last year, and I'm assuming there will be a book for it sometime. But those are cool, too, because they're set in Lilydale, which is actually a real spiritualist community that exists in upstate New York. And the really cool thing is, she at one point had also written a young adult series set in Lilydale that was four books. And so she sort of brings back some of those characters from the earlier books. So you get a little bit of closure. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Sign me up. But yeah, she's always a great read. She was my first profile for Mystery scene. Was she? She was. Uh, And then another good one coming out is The Last Thing I Told You by Emily Arsenault, and that is out on July 24th. Um, Emily was actually raised in Cheshire. Uh, She lives in Massachusetts now. Yeah, Emily's great. A lot of people, you know... Consider her sort of more of a literary mystery or quirky mystery because she tends to gravitate towards, you know, she'll start doing research and she'll pick some obscure person or topic Mm -hmm. to bring into the book and then it sort of evolves from there. Um, This one is a little bit less... Of that, But it's set in a fictional town that is very much, you know, Cheshire okay. and the surrounding areas, which is always kind of fun yeah, because you can recognize it. And that's yeah. where she's from. Um, but it's a psychological thriller about the murder of a psychologist, Dr. Mark Fabian, uh, in a small New England town. And... Then there's, you know, two sort of central characters. There's a detective, Henry Preacher, who must investigate the case, um, but that is hard to do because he has very few records to go on and basically notes with first names, so how do you figure out who these people are when you don't have a last name, Um, you know, and the issues of confidentiality and things like that, which actually Emily was telling me was sort of problematic when she started the book. She wasn't sure how to pursue that, you know, ethically, legally, what could they do, um, you know to to make that information available. And then there's also another character, Natalie Raines, um, who came from that same small town. She goes away for a long time and then sort of comes back, and her return coincides with the death of the psychologist, who she also happened to be a patient of at one time. Um, And what's really interesting to me is both characters have, like, a trauma in their past that very much informs who they are now. I'm not going to, you know, spoil it, but Natalie, you know, had one sort of extreme outburst of violence at one point in her life um, and has never, you know, entirely gotten past that and it's sort of come to define her to the people who know of that event. And then the detective who went to school with her, he was involved in a mass shooting at a senior center. He actually sort of thwarted the killer. You know, it's still deadly, but not as bad as it could have been. Uh, So he's sort of seen as a hero in the eyes of the community and he struggles with that because he doesn't see himself that way. And I will say that, you know, There is some tie-in with the shooting to what's going on contemporary times. But it's interesting because, you know, they have very unique perspectives and they can understand the complexities of a past, you know, or a present that's sort of defined by past events. Um, And he has to determine whether or not she was involved in the death, you know, and what her return to town means, if anything. Um, So she writes great stuff. She's one of my favorites because I think she's sort of a little bit under the radar. Mm -hmm. but fascinating and I think I'm actually going to be interviewing her at the book club bookstore this summer oh, cool. I hope so and I got nice. to interview her for mystery scene nice. so that was nice. fun she was one of those ones I pitched and they went for it oh, and I that's said, great Yay. Yeah. <laughs> more people will know <laughs> she is hopefully yeah. uh, but she's she's great
0: I wonder if she's an issue with people reading her books and thinking that they're, you know, people in her town and thinking (laughs) they're the characters. Yeah.
1: I guess that's why it's not Cheshire. (laughs) (laughs) And the last one I wanted to recommend is The Mystery of Three Quarters by Sophie Hanna. Uh, That comes out August 28th, and it's actually her third Hercule Poirot book. And those are written at the behest of Agatha Christie's estate. She took over that series a couple years ago. I just, I like revisiting the character, yeah. you know, and I think she does it really well. It's funny, she and Anthony Horowitz are, I see them very similarly, you know, they sort of do the same thing with different characters, and oddly enough, I was watching the bonus features on Murder, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, the DVD, mm-hmm. and they were both in one of those like documentary features, and I was like, oh my god, John <laughs> drop,
0: it makes sense, <laughs>
1: But the premise is this. So Poirot arrives home, and he finds a very distraught woman. Um, Her name is Sylvia Rule, and she demands to know why he has accused her of murdering Barnabas Pandy, a man she claims never to have heard of, um, yet alone met. And that note supposedly was from Poirot. And so he is immediately drawn in because he says, I didn't send you that letter. Um, And then other people come forward as well to say that they received letters signed in his name. Ooh, yes. Interesting. So very, very interesting mm-hmm. and obvious. You know, obvious to say, needless to say, he Poirot does investigate.
2: Let's go mm. that out. I still have the first. You gave me the first book in that series. Oh, I yeah, do want to on read, read it. Yeah. I feel like I need to read more of the originals first.
1: You know mm-hmm. what? It but totally. Maybe
2: I don't.
1: I had like a huge Agatha Christie thing back when I was younger. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was a grandma. <laughs> That 12 year old, 70 year old. But like, I had all her books, and then I'm like, oh, I'm over this, and I gave them all away. And then that first book came out a couple years ago, and I read it, and it completely like reignited my passion for Agatha Christie, so I had to like go out and rebuy everything. But
0: I just had to. I just had had to. Yes, I I had had to.
1: to (laughs) I had to do it.
0: I had to decide which bookstore to go to, and then, yeah. yeah hard to be us it is hard yeah, isn't it so but did you reread or did you just want them in your possession no i
1: reread a lot of them or some of them i read for the first time okay um but it's nice too because uh, sophie hannah sort of created a new character i believe his name is catchpool so he's sort of the watson to the sherlock and he chronicles what's going on with paro but again it's nice because she's taking something familiar but she's twisting it so that it's also uh, her own but very much in the style of Agatha Christie and she Sophie Hannah I don't know if you've read any of her stuff but it's she's one of the few authors I don't even try to figure out what's going on because I never can I can't keep up with her interesting like yeah. she's twisted but in the best possible way
0: but not cre- like I don't think of those as being blood and guts creepy
1: no they're either. more traditional cozy-ish mysteries yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. I
0: should start there. There's cake yeah. in the book. There's yeah. cake. Oh, okay. I'm in. And there's not a severed head
1: baked in the cake. No. So we're all good. Well, or or a are a you sure? <laughs> a
0: heart or a foot or a... I'm <laughs> Gosh.
2: Well, you know, John, while we have you here, thank you so much for all of these great book recommendations. You're I wanted welcome. to ask you a little bit, too, about Crime Con, Ah, yes. Which is a... So conference that's coming up. That, yeah, uh, I know it took a hiatus last year, it, but it's back again. So It can you tell did, us about Yeah, that?
1: Thank you for asking. So CrimeCon is coming up Saturday, June 23rd. I sure hope I got that right, but I'm pretty confident since I'm supposed to be there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's the third CrimeCon. I guess I can't call it annual. We did take a hiatus. Uh, we had been at the Westport Library, but they're under renovations, okay. uh, so we are moving to a new location at the Ferguson Library in Stanford. Uh, it's an all-day mystery event. We have a theme this year, which is keeping it real. Uh, so, you know, all about the facts that inform fiction. Uh, so there's going to be a bunch of, you know, crime authors from Connecticut, you know, New York area, uh, mostly MWA affiliated Mystery Writers of America. Uh, there is going to be some presentation by experts. There's going to be some new interactive elements this year, you know, such as pitching ideas to agents and seeing what they have to say. Um, our usual moderated panel discussions. Uh, I think I am moderating the thrill of fact-based fiction. They said, oh, you can add some input. You're a journalist. <laughs> I said, Fake news, that's what. Um, but it's going to be a good lineup. I have Jane Cleland is coming in from New York. She writes the Josie Prescott Antiques Mysteries. James Ben, who writes mysteries set against World War II, uh, the Billy Boyle series. He's got Connecticut roots, and also Karen Olson, who we talked a little bit about earlier, um, and I may have a fourth person on my panel, so right. we'll see. That's a mystery, but yep, that's Saturday, June 23rd, uh, at the Ferguson Library, and yeah, yeah tickets are on so. sale now. It's a great event, because it's, you know, it's local, it's one day only, and everything is held in the same room, so you don't yes. have to pick and choose, you don't miss anything. Yeah. You've oh, been yeah, there. Yeah. See, that's
2: yeah. nice. Yeah, it's a great conference. Yeah. I've attended it twice since I've lived in Connecticut, and it is great because it is in one room. I mean they take breaks in between right. the panels and stuff, but you so you don't feel like, Oh, do I wanna do this one or that one? And mm-hmm. you know, um there's none of that. And it was all really professionally done and all of the speakers and panelists were also interesting and informative I'm mm-hmm.
1: yeah, glad that you enjoyed it it's nice to have something back in Connecticut because we had Murder 203 for a couple years that was before you were a resident yeah. um, and then it sort of just went away and then it got sort of re- resurrected as crime con, I mean it's a little yeah. bit different but the essence is the same and it's small but not small small, yeah. but I think my favorite is that you don't have to pick and choose because that used to drive me crazy yeah. inevitably yeah. you would miss something yeah. that you really wanted to see yeah. uh, and there's none of that here, so you know, authors are friendly, they love the interchange, you get to mingle, they sign books, yeah. there will be books for sale. Yeah, So it's a really great day out. And it's relatively inexpensive, too. It is, it's
2: like, what, $35? Yeah, I think like that might it? be the yeah. early
1: bird pricing. Yeah. Um, And, you know, then it goes up a little bit, but yeah, in comparison market. to the yeah. other conferences, I mean, it's incredibly... Uh, inexpensive.
2: Yeah.
1: Can I tease a few more events, too? Please do. I think I actually already teased one, but I'm pretty sure, pretty sure, <laughs> I'm going to be interviewing Emily Arsenal at the book club bookstore in more in South Windsor at some point this summer. And I'm stealing ideas from you. You do the Willa Cather book club there. So <laughs> <laughs> apparently I'm doing a Marsha Clark book club there. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, so that's exciting. Uh, we're going to be starting our first book club meeting will be on Thursday, July 26th at 6 p.m. and we're going to be discussing Marcia's first crime novel, Guilt by Association which is the first book in her four book, Rachel Knight series. People tend to really like that series because the prosecutor um, is very much you know, like Marcia herself when she was working that job and there's a lot of authentic detail to the character and circumstances because she lived that life for a very long time. And can I tease a little more Marcia? You know I have to. You know, Yeah,
2: Yeah, let it rub.
1: Marcia, Marcia, Marcia the woman (laughs) who never sleeps I don't know She's very, very busy, so I think last time I was here, we talked about her new book, was coming out um snap judgment that was the third book in her more recent series samantha brinkman a criminal defense attorney who works outside the bounds of the law um there will be a fourth book but i actually think it's written but i don't think it's going to be published until next summer i think they're taking a year off and that's just because marsh has been so busy with tv projects that i don't think anybody knows when she's going to have time to sit down and write the next book Um, so i think they want a little buffer um but she actually just had a really well done seven part docu-series on A&E called Marsha Clark Investigates the First 48, which was sort of a riff on their very famous, the First 48 program, um, where you go back and reinvestigate crimes with an emphasis on that critical first 48 hours, because I don't know if a lot of people know this, but those first hours, those first days um, of a crime, and particularly a murder, if it's not solved within that first 48 hours, the chances of resolving it drop by 50%, um, particularly if it's a murder. So she wanted to explore uh, some of the very infamous crimes of recent years that either had an unsatisfactory resolution, you know, like Casey Anthony, Robert Blake, both acquitted despite very, very strong circumstantial evidence. Uh, And then some crimes that are still unsolved, Chandra Levy's disappearance, uh, the murder at the Spreckles Mansion, where there was actually a finding in a civil court, but criminal court hasn't even been visited because officially uh, Rebecca Zahal's death was ruled a suicide even though somebody has been held liable in a civil court for her death. Wow. Um, and the great thing about it is it's really in-depth, Marcia calls it a deep dive, but each episode was two hours, mm-hmm. and it's not a rehashing, it's a complete reinvestigation of the crime where she goes out to the scene, she talks to the witnesses, she talks to the lawyers, she gets experts, and then she reanalyzes and interprets the evidence, so it was fabulously well done. We're hoping for a season two on that, cool. but but there's more. Marsha also has a legal drama That was just picked up by ABC Um, They had ordered a pilot Mm -hmm. And the pilot was submitted um, I believe beginning of May And they just ordered it to series last week It's called The Fix It's going to be a mid-season show um, Next year probably January Stars Robin Tunney And Marsha is co-writer, co-executive producer And it's semi-autobiographical And she calls it part revenge fantasy Because (laughs) do you know what it's about? Do you know? Have you heard of this?
2: I haven't heard
0: about
1: oh, it, but I can I've imagine what the heard revenge about... is
0: about. Oh. <laughs> well, I've heard about The Fix because I'm a fan of Gretchen Rubin's po- Happier podcast oh, with her yeah. sister, Elizabeth Yes, Josh, who's one of the writers. Also a
1: writer and co producer. Yes,
0: so that's oh. as much as I know.
1: Yeah, so. oh, well, let me tell. Okay. okay. So here's the story, right? So there's a prosecutor whose name is Maya. Not Marcia, Maya. (laughs) um, And she tried what was then known as, you know, a trial of the century and lost against a criminal defendant, very popular, very present in the media. She was ripped to shreds you know, in the midst of the trial and then resigned from the office and sort of completely disappeared afterwards, um, which is very similar to what happened with Marsha. You know, after the Simpson trial, she resigned her position and then she went on to write books and do work in TV and radio, but, you know, she never tried another case in a courtroom. Um, so Maya and the show, you know, sort of, Takes it a step further and disappears to a horse farm to try to, you know, reassemble her life. And then several years later, uh, that same defendant who was acquitted is accused of murdering somebody else. Ooh. And she is drawn back to help them try to get a conviction this time around.
2: Okay. That sounds so slightly yeah. familiar, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So okay. that should be the good. Fix. And from what I hear, there is also a secret... Third TV project in the works that we might be seeing this summer, so it's sort of like the renaissance of Marcia Clark. Yeah.
0: You're not kidding this. She oh. must not sleep. Yeah,
1: it's insane.
0: Yeah,
1: it's great, insane because she's doing all these things that she's passionate about. But it's sort of you know it's like that adage, everything all at once. Like yeah. you work and you work and you work and then everything hits yeah. all at once, yeah. and you want to do it all because yeah. you know no time like the present. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, she's doing great things. It's great.
0: Chris and I also talk about how um, women sometimes are late bloomers because of you know the things that they're doing in their life and as their careers develop and um, I think Marsha Clark is a perfect example of that. I mean, not that she wasn't a success as a younger person as well, but I think it's just everything has built up to be at this pinnacle of... Right,
1: well, you know, she said that she thought she would be carried out of the DA's office in a pine box, like, (laughs) she never thought that she would leave the prosecutor's office until that Simpson verdict just totally shook her belief in the system and she couldn't do it anymore and for a while you know she did tv and she did radio and she wrote scripts in Hollywood but what she wanted to do all along was write crime novels even when she was a kid you know she loved Nancy Drew she loved mysteries she just never had the confidence that she could do it or make a living at it and then finally she decided you know now or never and it's seven critically acclaimed novels later, plus all these other things. And what I love is, you know, I mean, Marsha Clark was pretty amazing. She was the first female in the special trials unit of the L.A. District Attorney's Office. She won thousands of convictions. She won 19 out of 20 homicides before Simpson. And all people tend to remember is that verdict. I mean, what an accomplished woman. And then to become sort of the butt of jokes for decades and decades and decades, and by people who don't even understand the case or its circumstances. So it's really nice to see all these years later sort of this revival. And she just says she's happy to finally be understood. You know, people Mm -hmm. are starting to understand what she went through then. Yeah.
2: It has to feel good. Yeah. A little redemption. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Go, Marsha. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, is she going to have any appearances in the New York City area?
1: I do not know. There's nothing public right now. She doesn't have a new book out. She was actually in New York yesterday um, promoting the show. Okay. Um, but now she's really, really busy well, let us writing know and we'll filming. Let people know
0: when she has events. Yeah, like. see Marsha come back yeah. and tell tell Marsha she's an honorary cougar. All right, <laughs>
1: she'll like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, this is funny. We were emailing before, and I told her I'm like I'm sorry I have my own media appearance today I'm with the book book cougars, so I'll respond later. But. <laughs>
0: awesome i'm going to be with my people
1: yes (laughs)
0: oh my gosh well
2: john thank you so much for coming on again oh yeah thank you for having me absolutely and we hope to actually do it quarterly you know what i was just thinking
1: all this extra time is just making up for you know the six missing moments that's right yeah that's
0: right yeah thank you for
1: having me it's so much fun you guys are great so are you thank you you.
0: happy Happy reading everybody thanks
2: for listening to the book cougars with chris Wallach and emily fine to keep the bookish conversation going online join our Goodreads group, or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us on whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody.